thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by S. Preston Designs. S. Preston is world famous for its minimalist design of baseball mascots, college, and major league stadiums. S. Preston Designs have been featured at the Hall of Fame and at ballparks around the country. This week, we're giving away an S. Preston's Design MLB Stadium poster. To enter to win, all you have to do is head over to BaseballAmerica.com slash Stadium Contest, select your favorite stadium design, and submit. It's that easy. Again, to enter to win at BaseballAmerica.com slash Stadium Contest. Hey everybody, Kyle Glazer, Baseball America, coming back to you from our uh, studios here in Durham, North Carolina. We're here with Keegan Lode to discuss the Marlins system. Keegan, your first stab at a top 30. Uh, I think it's no secret that the Marlins have, if not one of the weaker systems in baseball, in all reality, it's probably the weakest system in baseball. I guess we have to start with just brutal honesty. How bad is it? It's not good, Kyle. I will say that. Um, and it kind of starts at the top, and, and not because these players might not turn out to be good, but because there's a lot of unknown. Um, Trevor Rogers, obviously their first-round pick, left-handed pitcher this year out of New Mexico. Um, he didn't pitch in a competitive game. Um, the Marlins said it was just a lot of fatigue is what they called it. Um, he pitched a lot in New Mexico in the high school ranks. Interestingly, um, the exact same thing about what they said about Braxton Garrett not pitching last year. Exactly. So that gets me. So Rogers was our number one in the top ten that's already been released, and, and Garrett was our number two, Braxton Garrett, lefty out of Alabama. And it was the same thing. The, the stuff they're saying with Rodgers this year, same thing they said to Garrett. And Garrett had to have Tommy John. Uh, he pitched a little bit in 2017, not much. And there were some thoughts that he might have been injured the whole time. And then he had Tommy John. He will probably miss most of 2018. And so I'm not saying that Rodgers is going to have Tommy John. We don't know that at all. He, he might be fine. They said he was going to pitch um, in instructs. But the Marlins, of course, had to cancel their instructs because of the hurricane. Um, so... For all we know, he, he could have already pitched by now if if the uh, hurricane wasn't there. But just goes back to your point of that's your number one and number two prospects. And they've pitched a combined, you know, 20, 30 innings, whatever it is. One's had Tommy John and one hadn't pitched professional innings. So it's just kind of rough there. And it, it doesn't get much better the lower you go, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where sometimes you'll see systems where there's not a lot of depth, but some interesting guys at the top. Or you'll see there isn't really a game changer at the top, but you can find some depth. You know, a couple arms here, a couple position players here can do some things. It kind of seems like the Marlins are lacking both. I think they would take either one of those scenarios right now. Um, and maybe that will come to fruition soon. Obviously, you can't get on Twitter or look on social media without seeing trade rumors um, from the National League MVP, Giancarlo Stanton, or... There's been talks about Martin Prado and D. Gordon. So I, I think there's some recognition there with that, hey, this system, if it's not 30, it's 28 or 29, you know, and we need to build it up. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we're, we're recording this, obviously, before the winter meetings. I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, a couple trades and then really try to get this farm system. Wouldn't be surprised if uh, my, uh, my Cardinals chapter I wrote, if I'm copying and pasting five <laughs> reports and emailing them to you. And Exactly. I don't know if anyone's rooting for a stand trade more than I am, just for the <laughs> fact that it makes my life a whole lot easier writing this top 30. <laughs> you know, it'd be interesting. Uh, the rumored trade that came out today, you know, Tyler Beatty, Chris Shaw would be the prospects going back. Those are your number one and two prospects in the system. That's actually right when I right when I saw that trade, I went into JJ Cooper's office and just said, "So, I mean, is that one and two? And he said, "You know, it probably is. Shaw's probably your one, and BD is is your two. I mean, at least competing there with Rogers for number two. Um, and so they just need 
they just need some influx of talent here. I mean, they just as as much talent as they can get from these trades. I know there's been a lot of talk about how much money they're going to save, and and obviously there's a, a great unknown with Stanton's contract and stuff. But as much talent as they could get to the minor league system would be would be a big help for these guys in the future. You know, one thing that is interesting, there are two or three guys who there is some everyday potential with. Now, normally most systems, you say there's 10 guys with that potential and only two or three will get to it. The Marlins in this case, I think the general consensus has been from evaluators around the game, there's really only two or three guys you can even see that potential. Um, but one of them, you know, James Nelson's a third baseman. Well, I want to start Brian Anderson. It was your number three. Mm-hmm. He's in the majors. He's a futures gamer. He's shown some power. Uh, but James Nelson's the other third baseman in this system who – you know, in a system where there's not many guys getting good reviews, there's some positives with him. Yeah, if you're going to dream on a position player in this in this uh, system as it stands right now, James Nelson's definitely your guy. You know, as we said, Brian, Brian Anderson was my number three on the top ten. They liked what they saw from him. It was just a September call-up, but they liked what they saw from him. And he's a guy that if Martin Prado does get traded... That's probably your everyday third baseman starting out of the 2018 season, depending on what happens, obviously, in free agency and stuff. Um, but James Nelson, a, a younger guy, was in Greensboro this year. Um, he was just turned 20 this past, uh, past October, so he was 19 playing in Greensboro. Um, and, and he's the guy that, if you want to dream about a guy that you know could potentially be an all-star or something like that, if there is a position player in this system, which I'm not convinced there is, but if there is... I'd bet James Nelson. You know, it was interesting. I got up to a couple games this year for Greensboro. And with Nelson, I, you see a guy who's you know, young, physical. And what I just saw from him is he just pulled the ball in the air with authority repeatedly. Even if it there were times it didn't go out or, you know, just hit to a deep part of the park. Uh, but he was a guy that sometimes you go to a game and there's a guy that's supposed to be a guy. And he just never does anything that opens your eyes. Then there's guys... You know, I admittedly, when I first couple times went to Greensboro, did not have a great sense of the Marlins system or mm-hmm. who any of these guys were. And he's a guy that just caught your eye a little bit as a young guy who's consistently hitting the ball hard in the air with authority where you could say, okay, gets a little bigger and stronger, grows a little more, you know, just improves all the things that hitters improve as they move up the ladder. You can see something. I mean, is that power hitting third baseman the, the dream? I think so. And, and like you said, there are some kinks there. With the bat, that is just gonna. I mean, he was 19 in low A. I mean, it's just gonna, it's gonna come. Um, but a lot of people thought there weren't a lot of holes in his game. You know, you could see where he could be a pretty well-rounded third baseman in the future. Defensively, there were some lapses. A lot of people that I talked to thought that was more um, just mental, just going through the grind of a season as a 19-year-old. There's, First full season. Yeah, there's going to be errors there. There's going to be just mental mistakes over there at third base. Um, but as he matures, as he gets older, I, I think it's a guy that you could say, okay, you know, you could have a guy that can hit for some average, hit for some power. He's got a good arm. He's got some good range at third base. I mean, there's really – it seems like there could be a complete package there. Right. Um, I mean, 309, 354, 456. You know, for me, what's interesting, you see the 31 doubles with the seven home runs. Those doubles are going to turn. Yeah, it, it, that's what I – and it's going back to just being a 19-year-old, if he can get that man strength a little bit is what right. I – that's a phrase I heard two or three times, you know, just as he fills out his frame – because um, he's listed as 6'2", 180. I wouldn't be surprised to see that 6'2", 200. I think he's a little thicker than yeah, that when exactly. I saw him. But, yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely still room for more. Exactly. And, and as that muscle grows, you, you're going to see those balls in the gap start going out of the park. So, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. You know, the other thing is you can also see it going the other way where there's 106 strikeouts and 26 walks. And that's where it's sort of the, hey, there's lots of promise, but 
the strike zone control, that's a big yeah, thing moving Yeah, exactly. Forward. I mean, there's some swing and miss there. Um, but like we said, you know, if you're, if you're trying to dream on somebody. <laughs> no, just, I, I like them. Yeah. I, I feel like I just I think it's important to raise. Um, you know, Dylan Peters is, is, you know, number five prospect. I mean, we know what he is. MLB fifth starter-ish type. You know, hey, everyone needs him. Uh, Brian Miller's the other guy that I think can fairly consistently you hear, hey, there's some everyday potential here. Um, and again, Miller played locally at University of North Carolina, went out to Greensboro. And I'm not on our, any of our college coverage, so I didn't see him at UNC. But when I went out to Greensboro after he was drafted, first of all, you know, right away, low A, I just saw a left-handed hitter who had good at-bats and just hit line drives back up the middle again and again and again and again. And to me, it's just the kind of that pure hitter, smooth swing, works counts, good at-bat, played a good outfield, I mean, it wasn't as, again, on a team that the lack of talent was startling, he stuck out like a sore thumb. And it was not hard to see hey, I could see number two hitter line drives get on base or number eight hitter line drives get on base. I mean, there's there's potential there with with a range of options. Yeah, and, and with Miller, too, he's, he's a guy that you're going to hear about his story a lot. Um, was going to be a walk on late addition to North Carolina's class after they got just slammed in the, uh, in the draft that year. Came on and all he did since he uh, since he got on campus at Chapel Hill was hit. Uh, he started as a DH. Didn't really know where he had a position at first. Um, and I think the outfield is something he's gonna have to work out. I mean, he's not a, a natural center fielder, even though I think I saw him playing left most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so the the bat profile is better in center just because there's not much power there, you know. Um, but but he has the speed, he has the athleticism that you could see him, you know, becoming a center fielder or or maybe sticking in left and right if some of that power comes. Um, but yeah, just a just a, a ball player kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Just he gets up there and he hits. Um, everyone raved about his makeup, just saying, you know, this is the type of guy you want to bet on because he's it's going to be hard for him to fail. You know, he's going to maximize every all of his tools, even if it's not as the tools might not be as loud as some other guys you see that that are first round picks or in the supplement around. We bet on him to maximize his potential. That's what I heard a lot. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's a game of production, and he's always produced. Just keep producing. I mean, again, I hadn't even really checked in on the numbers. I just knew what I saw, and I see him like, yeah, that sounds about right. 322, 384 on base, 416 slug, 17 doubles, 23 walks to 35 strikeouts, 21 of 27 stolen bases. Not only, you know, just stealing back, stealing them efficiently. I mean, Contact, you know, saw 17 doubles in 57 games, can drive the gaps, you know, leg out some doubles, steal bases, control the strike zone. It's all the little things that add up to, you know, be a pretty good hitter. And that 322 average, um, I actually wrote this in my write up, but that would have been the third best average in the Sally League from July 1st on. And that's coming from a guy that was in college a month before. I mean, that, that's impressive playing with those guys that are, are used to playing every day to hit 322 and your first even taste of professional ball. Um, yeah, that was impressive. So, they, they I, I know they really liked his uh, his debut. You can't really ask for much more from your, your second pick. I mean, they got him in the supplement around, but still your second pick for him to come in. And for everything that Rodgers wasn't able to do because of his injury, there were some good things to see that you can get this draft class immediately. You see some production there with Brian Miller. So, you've got these two lefties at the top who are high upside but extremely high risk. Got a couple of, you know, Guys who are in the big leagues, Anderson and Peters, and you've got two guys who there's some you know everyday potential with with Nelson and uh, and Miller in your top six, mm-hmm. and then it just seems like it falls off a cliff. I mean, yeah. it's really those six you can say, okay, here's why. You know, these are guys who they would be for you know 
slotting somewhere in top 15 in some other systems. You know, I, I mean, these are these are good players who you can see why and where there's some some reason reason for to expect some success. But once you get to seven, I mean, I think there's an argument that. Edward Cabrera might not be top 20 in half of the other systems in Yeah, baseball. he's kind of the wild card, right? I mean, he's the guy that, that you, you want to, you He's really young, you know, not even 20 years old yet. Um, doesn't have a great track record, but you see it there, the velo, good velo. Um, slot, slider can flash plus at times. You know, I mean, there's stuff to dream on there, but he's one of those guys that you're going to have to check back in three or four years and, and see where he's at because he's just going to be a slow burner. Um but he has the stuff you want to see. But, yeah, like you said, for, for any other system, is he number seven? Probably not. Um, but he's a guy, too, that has some stuff there. His fastball's already got up to 101. I mean, maybe it, it all goes right for him, and he is a legit top ten prospect. It's just, yeah, once you get past six or seven, um, Joe Dunan was eight, another college guy. Um, yeah, it starts, it starts going downhill rather quickly. Two guys that are nine and ten that were the product of trades. Mm-hmm. They did make some moves. Uh, AJ Ramos to the Mets. They brought back Morandi Gonzalez. They moved uh, David Phelps to the Mariners, and they brought back Brian Hernandez. Um, two interesting guys, both the lower levels. Um, I think Gonzalez has been a, a success without maybe the nastiest stuff type. Hernandez has been big tools, limited success type. Just what were your overall, you know, what was the overall feedback and, and thoughts on those guys? And this is kind of what I'm talking about this offseason, too. I mean, I think these were two good trades to just put some talent in the system. And I think that's what we'll see this offseason. Um, with Gonzalez, you know, a, a guy, not, not the biggest guy in the world, six feet, not going to blow you away with anything. Um, but I got a lot of, he knows how to pitch, you know. They got a, 13 and 3, 1.66. Yeah, at I think his levels whip was a, below one. I think it was like 0.97. I mean, yeah. you know, he's just. Guy that you're not going to say, oh, wow, you know, he has the, the greatest stuff I've ever seen, but all of a sudden you see he's pitched five innings and only let up a run or, or something like that, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, this is going to work, especially in this system. You know, this is this is something that we can we can work with. So, um, and then with Hernandez, I think he's a position player, maybe a, a step below James Nelson, but someone that you're trying to dream on, you know, a, an outfielder that can do a little bit of everything, um, good arm, good speed, um, and, and just a guy that – the hitting still hasn't come yet. You know, he's not he's not going to be a 300 hitter anytime soon. Um, but there's stuff there to think, okay, you know, he's only 20. He just turned 20, and th- there's still some projection there. Yeah, you know, I had the Mariners system before this, and, and there were some people there who swore that he's a guy who has every bit the tools as some of these other uh, – someone wants – Lodi, Lodi Tavares, the tools are equivalent, but Hernandez just hasn't been able to put them together yet. He did perform better – in Batavia than he was uh, in Everett in the Mariner system. So it'll be interesting to see if he can just continue moving it, moving it forward a little bit. Uh, were you still getting center field projections on him, or was it mostly corner? What were you getting? They think he can stay in center. Um, now, he has the arm that I think he can move to right or left if he needs to. Um, but for now, I think they're going to keep him in center. I, they think he can handle it. Um, I think Greensboro will be a big test for him playing every day. If you know, if he goes to full season in 2018, that's that's kind of the expectation. Um, but yeah, I think center for now. But I don't think it would be a, a huge deal if he did have to move to one of the corners because I think he could handle, it, especially with the arm. So the guy who did not make the top 10 and obviously has uh, a lot of hype around him coming out of high school, Tyler Kolek, another top Marlins arm who got hurt. Um, but when he was on the mound, it was either really bad to downright disastrous. 
What were you hearing about what the problems have been for him since he returned? And he was, that was probably the topic of the greatest debate here in the BA office, just what to do with Tyler Kolick. Obviously, number two overall pick, uh, signed for $6 million in 2014, which is still the highest signing bonus they've ever given out. Um, and it just hasn't been there for him. Um, the results weren't great even before he had Tommy John surgery, missed almost all of 20, missed the entire 2016 season, came back late in 2017 and faced 31 batters in the Gulf Coast League, if I'm remembering this correctly, and walked or hit 17 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the control has just not been there, and it, that was before and after Tommy John. It obviously, it was worse after Tommy John. But Hey, Elizabeth, 14 walks to one strikeout in the Gulf Coast League. Exactly, and it's just... In, in 3.2 innings, 14 <laughs> walks yeah. and three hit batters. And so, I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, obviously, they everyone liked... I mean, I think the industry thought... I mean, obviously, he went number two and signed for $6 million. So, I mean, people liked him. The the fastball, I think the reports coming out of high school was up to 102 or something. The velocity hasn't been there since he started playing pro ball. But it's still upper 90s fastball. Um, it's just... It, it, it appears he has no idea where it's going at any point in time. You know, and you mentioned even before he got hurt, Greensboro, it's 81 strikeouts, 61 walks, and 108.2 innings. And it, it's interesting to me. Matt Eddy, who uh, is main, our main numbers cruncher here, around the time Kolek was coming out, did this really interesting study that showed the high school right-handers who are already physically developed, the 6'5", 240, throwing, throwing 100 you know, in high school, it's not most of them have failed. Every single one of them has completely failed. And what's it? Because a lot of times the guys that are that size and high, there's no physical projection left, and all they've ever done is throw hard, and guys, high schoolers, they just swing because they yeah, have just to just completely cheat. overmatched. They yeah. don't know where the, they, you know, they don't have time to ID where the ball's going. They just have to swing. They swing through it. These guys look amazing. When in reality, a lot of the best pitchers are these 6'2", 6'3", 190-pound athletic types who grow into velocity and know how to set hitters up because they haven't always had that. They've had to, okay, I have to learn how to set hitters up. I have to learn how to spin a curveball. I have to learn to, you know, change, you know, hit both sides of the plate, move eye levels a little bit, develop that third pitch. And, yeah, throw hard at, you know, 90, 91, but that goes up to 94. And, hey, I've got three three pitches now and some command. A lot of the guys who are just big and this, this big and throw that hard in high school, again, it's not most of them have failed. Every single one of them, at least at least since 2000, I should say. And I, I think you've seen that with Kolek because you talked about, you know, not having to develop an off-speed pitch really. I mean, when you're throwing 102 in high school, you throw 102 and you go back to the dugout. You know, you don't work on anything or you don't need to. And the, the off-speed was another troubling part with Kolek, um, even before Tommy John. It just... It was average at best. You know, there was nothing there. The slider change up, nothing that, that scared you there. Um, so guys, even if he was throwing strikes with the fastball, they were just sitting on 98. And eventually, when you're playing professional baseball, you can sit on 98 if you're not scared of anything else, you know. And, and so even if he was throwing it over the plate, there was still the chance that he was just going to get hit anyway. You know, it's just an interesting thing to me where I feel like a lot of times – you know, people fall for the velocity. Oh my God, he's those X amount in high school mm-hmm. to the point where almost, I mean, the track record is such where you should see that and run away. Yeah. But the natural inclination is, oh man, special arm. And, you know, he, he you know, we think it's almost a, it's a risk averse strategy. And I think there's been some interesting debate. I've talked to a couple of scouts about this with the guys who are this big and throw this hard when they're 17, 18. They should run away, but it's one of those things where, you know, 
it's it's seen as not their fault if the guy doesn't work out because hey, it's a good arm and it just didn't ha- it didn't work. But again, the track record is such. Don't get excited. Run yeah. as fast away, far away as you can. <laughs> and I, I think you can make the the easy argument that there's not a Marlins prospect that has a more important year coming up than Kolick in 2018. Because if you don't see it in 2018, I mean, he was uh, there'll be more than he, four he's years. In 2014. Yeah, draft. I mean, that's more than four years. He hasn't pitched above Greensboro yet, which is low class A. Turns 22 in December. So if all of a sudden he's 23 with no with coming, you know, with no success to speak of, coming off Tommy John. Yeah, it, it gets to a point where even if it didn't look great coming out of high school, it it's really doesn't look great if, if this year doesn't go well. And and even if it's just baby steps of commanding the fastball and one, maybe his slider takes a step and you could say, okay, you know, maybe we can move him to the bullpen and he could be a, a ninth inning flamethrower. And there's still value in that at this point for him. Um, but, yeah, he has to the, – the command – and just maybe one off-speed pitch taking a, a tiny jump would be would be would go a long way, honestly, and, and them getting some value out of the six million dollars signing bonus they gave him four years ago. So we've talked about there's really only two guys, you know, in this system. Uh, aside from you know, we talk about the two left handers up top, mm-hmm. and then beyond them, it's hey, it's Miller and Nelson have some everyday potential, and beyond that, there isn't really considered any anywhere to be found. Um, but a lot of times, there's guys who. You know, just drafted or just signed that, you know, all they've had is 20 at-bats and, you know, rookie level, so there hasn't been a, a huge evaluation period yet and some of these guys can sneak up on you. Was there anyone that was, you know, that, that piqued your interest just talking to some people inside the system or outside the system that, hey, you know, maybe if a step is taken here or there, there's a guy that at least kind of a, a keep an eye on type of guy. Yeah, talking to some people in the Marlins organization, and maybe this is a byproduct of their system not being very strong before this draft, um, but there were some guys in this draft class that they really liked. Now, we'll see if that, you know. If that, that... In fairness, I've never heard a team say, oh, we hated our fifth round. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's probably even more so for the Marlins because as we've established they weren't working with a whole lot coming into this draft um but there were there were a lot of people that liked riley mahan um a hitter out of kentucky second baseman um one of those guys that is not going to wow you defensively i know he played shortstop at kentucky and it was kind of didn't go very well over there so he had to move to second base and there's still some questions if he can stick at second um but he's just one of those guys that's a hitter had hit at the sec level for three years um and, and so there's something to hope on there too i mean if Left-handed hitting middle infielder with a track record of a good bat. like Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, they took him in the third round, so he was after the uh, Miller and Dunand group. He was right after that. Um, so, as you can tell, they, the Marlins kind of had a type this year, going Miller, Dunand, and Mayhan. A- AC- ACC bats, huh? Yeah, well, and then the SEC with, with Mayhan. But Kentucky, right, see, the, yeah. the Southeast bats, yeah, for sure, and with Kentucky and two North Carolina guys. So, um, yeah, so, so they had a type. Some, some hitters, I think, that also – you hope could move quickly, you know, ha- having played at that, that top level of college um, baseball, if if they're having some success, you could move them quicker and, and maybe you see some um, some productivity there. Another guy they drafted this year that they really liked was a, a 20th round guy that they uh, paid well over slot, uh, I think over $450,000 um, for 20th rounder, Matt Given. Uh, he's a right-hander out of Colorado, a guy they really liked. He had a good debut, obviously small sample size, just debuting after your um, – after your draft class, but um, I think had a .39 ERA and a .94 WHIP and 23 innings. I mean, for a guy coming out of Colorado, obviously still raw, but they um, they like 
his stuff, his fastball, changeup, curveball, three pitch guy that another guy you can dream on, especially you know coming from a right hander out of Colorado. Um, there's some projection there. So, and he, weird story about him. Everyone I talked to said he looks identical to Zach Greinke in the face. And so hmm. I Google imaged him, and he actually does. <laughs> um, so at one point, one of the guys I was talking to was like, yeah. I looked out there, and I was watching a, the GCL Marlins team, and I was like, why is Zach Greinke peaking for the GCL Marlins team? <laughs> um, so I thought that was funny. I, I don't think we're going to compare him on the field, but at least off the field, they, they look alike. Um, yeah, so there's some guys. I mean, Braxton Lee um, came Another over. Another guy in the Etcheveria yeah. yeah. trade. Came over in the Etcheveria trade, and – proceeded to win the Sutherland batting title, which, I mean, hey, that, that's something. I mean, a light-hitting guy, speed and defense is what he's been known for. He Now, he was repeating the Southern League because he also played there in 2016 and didn't hit great, um, but he played there in 2017 and hit really good. Not, not going to be a power guy. I mean, he's, I think he has like one or two career home runs, you know, nothing there to speak of. But if you're looking for maybe a floor of, of a speedy defensive first fourth outfielder, I, I think Braxton Lee's there, and if he continues to hit – 310 or whatever he hit this year, then, you know, there's a chance he could be an everyday guy. So there, there's some guys kind of in that teen range that I don't think you can just entirely give up on after you get past 10 or whatever it is. You know, and, and further with Braxton Lee, went out to the fall league, hit 347, 398, 400 slug. Look, this is not a guy who's yeah. ever going to overpower the ball, but stole eight bases and 10 tries in 20 games. I mean, so yeah, if you can play center field, can run, consistently get the bat to the ball and get on base, especially left-handed hitter, like, there's very much a major league role there. Exactly. So I think, yeah, if you're maybe looking for a sleeper type that, that's not going to crack any top 10s or top 100s or anything, but a guy that has a track record of producing, like you said, in, in the AFL and the Southern League, um, he'll probably start out next year in AAA. That'll be a good test for him because he spent two years in the, in the Southern League. Um, but go to, go to New Orleans, be a baby cake. Yeah, be a baby cake. And, and that's a guy that if the Marlins see that, hey, you know, we really need a speed a, uh, a speed guy or a fourth outfielder in the middle of next season that you can if, see if him they, called up and just see if he if can do they it. Trade you know? Christian Yelich and Marcelo Zuna and, and Stan yeah. this offseason. Then there might be some openings in the Marlins outfield <laughs> come 2018, especially around the trade deadline. So yeah, it, there, that that's a guy that you could definitely uh, think about seeing maybe in the near future if you're a Marlins fan. Absolutely. All right, I think that'll uh, pretty much do it. Any final thoughts on your uh, first top 30 in the in the Marlins system? It will get better, Marlins fans. <laughs> I think I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's gonna get better real soon. Um, I think they, they have some pieces at the major league level that it looks like it's just a matter of time until they get traded. I wouldn't be surprised if the top thirty I'm looking at right now is not their top thirty in three weeks. Actually, I'd be shocked if it was because I think there will be some guys that kind of get kicked out of the back end, and we add some guys in the top ten, fifteen. So um, yeah, just hold, hold the hope, Marlins fans. There will be some guys to to write about and talk about here soon. I think. Absolutely. All right, we end on a positive message of hope. There we go. Uh, For Keegan Lowe, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll have more Prospect Podcasts coming your way. Don't forget your chance to win a stadium poster of your favorite team from S. Preston Designs. Again, enter to win at BaseballAmerica.com slash stadium contest. Thank you to our followers for tuning in today.